the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Let me put on my glasses to read to you really quickly here. The more I follow my intuition, the more I reject modern culture. The more I reject modern culture, the freer I feel. The freer I feel, the happier I am. The happier I am, the more I'm rejected by modern culture. It's brilliant because it's true. Who is it true for? Who wrote this? Who said those words? A former actor by the name of Clifton Duncan was educated at the best acting schools in New York, was performing. (laughs) Maybe the problem is he's black. Maybe the problem is he's straight. Maybe the problem is he's not woke, that he's anti-DEI. I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with Clifton Duncan. That is next. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Sometimes I think only actors can wear hats that well, Clifton. I mean, it's like, it's like I, I, I look like crap in hats, so I never wear them. But look at you. You just you're wearing that hat, man. Well, you know what's funny is that I noticed that the hats that I wear tend to also look really good on other people. So it might just be my hat that you need. <laughs> okay, that, then I'm going to remember this hat and I'll try it. Uh, it just means you're a trendsetter and, a, and, a, and you have good fashion sense. I'm so excited to talk with you. And before we started rolling, I said something and you had a response and I want everyone to hear this. I said, I love your courage because you're, 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 you're talking out, you're speaking on Twitter and talking about the things that don't make sense to you. And that's, and not everyone's willing to do that, as you know, but you said you don't think of it as courage. What did you say? Well, I just said, I don't think of it much. Uh, I don't think of it as courage. And I don't think of myself as any kind of a hero. I just I wish I actually wish that I were uh, that I were different, that I were built differently. And uh, otherwise, my life would be much, much easier. And I would be um, I'll probably still be um, working uh, as an actor right now. How do you wish you were different? Um, you know, I just can't keep my mouth shut. I can't do it. Um, and I, I physically tried. I mean, like, like you know, maybe 10 years or so ago, um, back before uh, Facebook became the, the designated social media site strictly for old people, according to Gen Z, um, I, I left Facebook just because I got tired of arguing with people. And the reason I kept arguing with people is just because, again, I was sort of uh, butting up against um, this progressive orthodoxy. And um, I just, and I was being called a provocateur and, and people were angry at me. I just got tired of it, but I just, I could not, I just, I couldn't shut up. I just, I can't do it. I just can't do it. But see know? that, that, that to me is a sign of courage. That is, you're willing to take the slings and the arrows as it were. You're able to take the incoming, you're, you're willing to argue with people who, with whom you disagree and where you see a problem. And that to me speaks of courage, but you just said something. You said, I wish I were still, are you not acting now? No. Um, you know, I, after 
after Covidianism sort of ruined the industry. And then I, you know, I have all the wrong opinions. Um, I lost my manager. I, even my voiceover agent dropped me. Um, so, you know, I haven't even bothered pursuing, uh, trying to pursue any work. There's been a few things here and there, um, from, uh, from an independent standpoint, but, uh, you know, it's, I've just sort of given up on the whole, uh, on the whole idea of ever really performing in the capacity that I, that I had been doing, um, ever again. But that's your talent. And I assume that was what you really wanted. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I did my first play when I was 16, um, which was uh, over 20 years ago. And, you know, and it was funny because, I mean, I was always an artsy fartsy kid and uh, I was going to be an illustrator originally. And I dabbled in like short stories and poetry and, um, and band and music. And I sort of fell into acting and it was much cheaper to go uh, in-state to theater school. I somehow bamboozled them into letting me in. I just kept getting into shows and uh, people kept encouraging me from the very beginning, which is again, why I spoke out. And I said, you know, no one, it's funny to, to run into all these Zoomers, for instance, who who claim that um, the industry um, is racist. And I'm thinking to myself, well, in the late 90s and early aughts, 2000s, um, people from, you know, from my black college professor to my white college professors and everyone in between were saying, hey, man, if you really, you've got a gift. And if you really work hard, um, you have a shot at, uh, at really making a career of this. And I fulfilled that promise. Yeah. It, so... So when did it all change for you? When did you start? What was it that you saw, whether it was on Facebook or in your industry or anywhere else, that made you, that riled you up enough to make you want to, like you just said, answer back and argue? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, we use the term uh, red pilling now. It's, it's, become, it's become part of the popular vernacular. And I think mine, my red pilling occurred around 2014. Um, two specific incidents. Um, one was this really convoluted, complicated um, um, online controversy, which came to be known as uh, hashtag Gamergate, which we can't get into because it's, it's too, too um, complicated. But okay. what, I, what I learned from that um, episode, I saw firsthand how the, how the press and journalists um, operate. I saw how they stifle discussion and conversation about about topics. I saw how they treat um, uh, racial minorities, sexual minorities, and women who don't go along with the program. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I saw actually was, uh, you know, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and watch the, all the drama unfold, but I saw how it was being reported on. And that was the big uh, moment for me where I said, these people are just lying. They're just straight up lying or they don't know what they're talking about. And again, I would be on Facebook. Um, arguing with people who had very strident opinions about what it was. And I just said, no, it's, it, it's, it's just ridiculous. The other thing that happened around that time was the uh, Michael Brown slash Ferguson, uh, Missouri um, um, kerfuffle. And um, I noticed at the time that, uh, you know, the whole narrative of hands up, don't shoot um, became, uh, you know, became very, very widespread. And it was the Washington Post of all outlets that had really fantastic reporting. They, they even had diagrams of the autopsy report um, and the report from the medical examiner, which was hired by the Brown family, which completely refuted what we were being told about um, this, this um, uh, young black kid who was, uh, you know, surrendering and being gunned down um, in cold blood by this police officer. All the forensic evidence, all the physical evidence um, pointed to Officer Darren Wilson's story. And yet again, 
this entire thing became um, just became this cultural moment. And then, you know, I, I'll add one more bonus, uh, which is I went to Black Lives Matter's website, the organization's website. And immediately I said, these people do not care about black uh, people. There was a section specifically that uh, talked about parents. For First of all, I think people in general believed that the, um, that the protests were in response to um, excessive force uh, and police brutality, which everyone can get behind. No one likes corrupt police. Um, but at the, at the website itself, there was scarce, if any mention of police or brutality or excessive force, what there was was a lot of intersectional buzzwords, a lot of far left language about LGBTQ, whatever. And again, you know, I'm a musical theater guy. As a straight man in musical theater, I joke that I'm about 12% gay because I love Judy Garland so much. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I have no issue with sexual minorities, but the thing is there was one section on the website which mentioned parents, comma, mothers, comma, caregivers or whatever. And they went out of their way not to mention fathers. Now, I'm somebody who grew up in a single parent, a single mother household, and uh, I, I live the that that void or that emptiness every day of my life. And so I deeply resent people who make fathers uh, superfluous. And um, and, you know, if you don't listen to the I call them the bourgeoisie, um, black people know they understand what the real problem is. They understand that the problem is a lack of male figures um, in, in these homes and in these communities. They know. And um, when I saw that, I said, okay, these people are not interested at all in really getting down to the issues that are, that are really plaguing a lot of black communities in America. And uh, I, I said, you know, these people are just, uh, they're, they're a fraud. And of course, 10 years later, that's all been borne out. So, right. Right. you know, so it was a lot of things at the same time that really kind of opened my eyes to things. It's so interesting, though, because you saw them and you responded to them internally, clearly. So when you started to respond externally, when you started putting voice to your thoughts and, and being willing to do that, what kind of risk did you think you were taking career-wise? Well, you know, at the time, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as it is now. I mean, I got out of drama school, uh, my graduate program in 2009. Um, it wasn't the politics weren't as fraught as then. I mean, you know, but I, I was pushing and I was getting pushed back, but never to the extent where, um, where I, you know, feared being, uh, being canceled. But, you know, there's this implication of, uh, you know, well, we're going to watch your, your Facebook or whatever. And, uh, and, uh, you know, see if we want to work with you and these kinds of things. But, um, and I, I saw that. And again, you know, you go back to that question of, um, of courage and I, I don't, I, I, if I'm being, Frank, I don't know if I would be as uh, forthright as I am now if I were still working. Um, you know, it's just, you know, and, and especially when things uh, are going well, as I have been, um, there's every incentive not to say anything and um, and no incentive to really go against the trend. So, um, you know, so I was getting pushed back and people were saying, you're, you know, you're a provocateur and, you know, I'm just asking, you know, I'm posting memes and everything and asking uh, basic questions and, and getting um, pushback. But I think over time, internally, it was still, um, I just felt over time, I felt like I didn't really belong. And uh, when I say that, I, I mean, even shows in New York, which is where I was based, um, I stopped going to shows, even if I had friends in them, because a lot of them, I just said, you know, they're making shows for themselves. They're not making shows for the general public. And I don't necessarily feel um, in included as a, uh, as a part of any of this. And um, And I think uh, on top of that, you know, I, the more I leaned into 
for instance, masculinity, um, you know, uh, the entertainment industry is a very, very caustic environment for men, uh, especially for straight men. And um, I often joke that the reason I didn't get work in the theater after 2018 is because I'm not gay or trans. And, um, you know, but it, so it was these kinds of internal shifts about gender uh, and sex and about uh, race and racial politics that really sort of set this internal thing going. And as as the politics of the industry became more and more radical, um, I began to feel more and more alienated from from everything else. You know, I, I, I'm not going to mention any names. I have a, a dear friend uh, who is an, a Broadway actress, dancer, singer, actress. She's done a, a number of shows, uh, primarily chorus work, but a number of shows. She happens to be white and blonde. And so, you know, when they were casting Hamilton, for instance, she was told they need not apply kind of thing. Um, and, and I get that to a certain extent. It's like, you know, the, the only white characters in Hamilton were evil characters. Um, I loved Hamilton, the show. I, I, I loved some of the messaging of it, but I understood that there was something there that was, I don't know, maybe you can d explain it better. Um, and, and since then she has felt, um, kind of pushed out because she's white and blonde. Yeah, this has been an issue. I have friends who are still in it, um, white women. And, you know, I have another friend uh, uh, who's a gay white man, actually. And um, he said the same thing. He said, you know, I just feel so getting work is is just next to impossible. And I think he, he recently got a gig and he was like, you know, I don't like the work, but I mean, it's work. You know, he just wants to work. And I think what people don't understand is in the industry is, you know, if yes, there are a lot of um, very prominent, I guess, people who who shout their politics. But there's also, like your friend, a lot of just honest, hardworking people who um, are in a job that they love and uh, that bring that gives them meaning. And they're very fortunate if they're working in the chorus. Um, I mean, Broadway choruses are some of the hardest working people in show business. No and, um, you know, I mean, they're doing that stuff eight times a week, eight nights a week. It's exhausting. Um, it's physically demanding. That's why when you're in that, or when you're in that realm, that in that echelon, um, you know, being fit is a part of your job and being in shape is part of your job because you have an obligation to um, give 100% um, every single night because people are paying literally hundreds of dollars to see the best of the best. So, right. you know, and this gets into my frustration with um, the idea that we're non-essential and all these other things, um, you know, COVIDianism. But um, yeah, but it's, it's, there are a lot of people who feel, a lot of white people who feel as though they're being phased out and um, and it's been a problem for years and it's I think it's causing a lot of deep-seated um, subterranean resentment among performers, yeah. but they know they can't say anything about it. Well, that's the thing. You can't say anything about it. And I think if, I don't know, you tell me, I think if people did say something about it, the reaction I would expect would be, mm -hmm. well, it's about time because, you know, for so long, People of color were not invited, were not embraced in in this culture, in entertainment. So, yeah, so get a taste of your own medicine, even though these people like my friend and your friend had nothing to do with any of that, you know, but there. So is that kind of am I on target at all with that response? Yeah, I mean, it goes a step beyond that because. You're dealing with people who, I mean, first of all, you have to understand the context. Um, in 2020, 
um, after the death of George Floyd, the the industry as a whole and the theater in particular. And I always say this, if you think Hollywood is is woke, um, the the wokeness in the theater industry is 10 times more concentrated. And um, so after George Floyd died, there was this um, firestorm of firestorm of a reaction. And there was this infamous document that that was published called We See You White American Theater. And um, it, it, it I can't read it or reference it without laughing because it's just so melodramatic. It's so over the top. And, um, you know, I mean, there, there's a section, I mean, it literally is a manifesto and there's a section of it where they, you know, they compare doing, for instance, talkbacks and galas with producers and backers. They, they compare it to slavery because they're saying we're not being paid to speak to these people. I'm like, well, no, they're paying to finance your show. So you have a job and they want to meet the artists. I mean, it's, it's just a part of networking. It's part of the industry. It's a part of, you know, just keeping the, keeping the engine going, but they're comparing it to slavery. And so you know, I got these messages from people I'd worked with, from institutions I'd worked with. Um, I mean, one in particular uh, sent out this survey about how I, I feel being in white theater spaces. Now, I've never in my life, in 20 plus years of doing theater, never has have I ever stepped into a, a rehearsal studio or on a stage and looked around and said, my God, it's very white in here. <laughs> no one has ever done that. Yeah. Um, you know, I had this other institution say, and, and progressives, oh, I use progressive um, with quotation marks, but they always do this. They say, we know this is happening. We know this is how you feel. We know you feel excluded. We know that you feel. And this is an institution which um, they invited me as a as a as an actor one year. And then they invited me back, um, I think, a year or two later to perform my so a solo show that I had written. And I was always embraced um, by these communities. I've always been embraced whenever, you know, whatever I, I've, I've done in my career. But putting that aside, what you find is that these people have to erase the, the accomplishments of truly fantastic people in order to preserve their narrative. So for instance, you have someone like an Andre McDonald, who is a five-time Tony winner. She's literally making history just by being alive. This is a black woman. And you know, black women like her or Lashans, uh, uh, people like, uh, you know, myself or a uh, Ruben Santiago Hudson. I mean, there, there's all, or Ben Vereen, Andre uh, De Shields, all kinds of wonderful, wonderful performers who blaze the trail for guys like me. This is to say nothing of the of the Harry Belafontes, whom I've met, or the, the Poitiers, the, um, uh, the uh, Ethel Waters, Alina Horns, Diane Carrolls, um, who have again, blaze the trails before that. And so they have to, or James Earl Jones, you know, he stormed Broadway in the sixties, um, Sammy Davis Jr. on Broadway in the sixties. Um, and they have to pretend like none of these people ever existed in order to, you know, in order to uphold this idea that, uh, people have, people like me have always been excluded. And, um, and if you do speak up and say, well, no, then you become an exception, which is also racist. They say, well, you're just, you're just an exception. And, um, and uh, so, which means that the default is that you're a victim and that you've been oppressed. And um, it's just, it's a really, really um, ridiculous way. And the last thing I'll say is, uh, which just makes me laugh, is that, uh, you know, I got messages from <laughs> these people that uh, I'd worked with before, you know, these aggrieved white women who were just like, you know, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry for everything you're going through right now. And if I can help in any way, and I'm thinking to myself, this is really racist because what you're doing right now is that you're presuming that your life and your existence and your experience is superior to mine simply because you're white and I'm not. Um, I've never once said, you know, that I felt, um, uh, 
discriminated against or, or that I felt uh, people were behaving toward me in a prejudiced way. I mean, my, my resume is, is filled with everything from musical comedy to Shakespearean tragedy. I've excelled in everything. And uh, I, I just never needed these initiatives. Um, and it's, I just find it ironic that, uh, you know, for all their pushes for diversity, they, they've now pushed someone like me out at the very time they claim they want someone like me in the industry. It's an amazing statement you just made. Um, their diversity, equity, and inclusion is very specific. It's it's not <laughs> including everyone. It's well, it's I, it's only people who agree with them. Well, I, I joke that they they just want communists of color, but <laughs> uh, you know they they the problem with these things is that these people don't understand. Um, the intellectual roots of these things. So they get hung up on just the words or the idea, oh, diversity, yeah. oh, equity, oh, inclusion. It sounds wonderful. It, it does sound great. wonderful. Yeah. But uh, but once, like, I read the Communist Manifesto in, gosh, maybe it was 2015 or so, and I got about halfway through it, and I said, aha, this is what people mean when they say cultural Marxism. Yeah. Everything that Marx has, has, has said about economics and, and class war, they've simply transposed it onto uh, issues of race, uh, you know, race, uh, gender, sexuality. Exactly and right. in a way, it's even more insidious because at least, I mean, you know, the, the error in Marx's thinking was that you, you're, you're staying in these classes permanently. There's no idea that maybe from decade to decade you move up one class or you lose all your money. You, you move to a different class. Right. Um, you know, he doesn't recognize the, the individual capabilities of uh, single people or of groups. Um, but with, uh, with the identity Marxism, as it's been called, um, these are obviously traits that you can't change. So that's why an Oprah Winfrey or a Michelle Obama can claim that they're oppressed because they are black. And as, and as black people, they are automatically slotted into that oppressed class. And, um, and so that's why it's very insidious. And uh, it, I, I don't see a way out of this cultural spiral that we're in just because it's, it's so deeply embedded, um, not only in the industry, but I think also in the, um, in the consciousness of uh, a lot of black Americans and of Americans in general. It's, I'm a little depressed that you just said, I don't see a way out because it is so insidious and it's a spiral that we're, you know, and it does, it does feel a little out of control. The, the uh, one of the things that I see happening though now, and it's, in large part, thanks to, to people like you who are willing to call it out, is that many more people are looking at it skeptically now and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, United Airlines wants to, you know, first and foremost, they want to be diverse. Maybe safety isn't first in their in their world, whatever it, it, the case may be. That DEI is is top priority number one and their ESG scores and all of those things within these industries. And then they see stuff go wrong. Um, it, and it's not just that it's the people are feeling the impact on their own families, perhaps. Um, so you really don't think there's a way out. Um, it, it's tough to say. I mean, you know, I, I was just talking to a, a friend the other day where I said, you know, we're, we're talking about, um, we're talking about ideas. Ooh, excuse me. We're talking about ideas that, you know, implemented by say Russians or by the Chinese who are not dumb people. And yet they went, or the Germans who went through with these, with similar, or the French, <laughs> all these people <laughs> who went through with, with, with these similar ideas and uh, it caused misery and mass death. And that did not stop them. It took, you know, it took world wars to end these kinds of things. And then, you know, after the world war was over, you know, in places like Russia, the Soviet Union, it took decades before um, it, it sort of, 
um, collapsed. So, you know, if you're looking at something on that massive of a scale, and even then it didn't stop um, these people from, uh, from um, acting on these ideas and ideals, um, the theater and, you know, the arts and humanities in general, I, I don't see, uh, I don't see them stopping. What I will say is that we are living in a, a, a time where mass communication, the, the whole paradigm has shifted and it's become much more decentralized. I think what's really funny in the wake of Elon Musk's purchase of, um, of Twitter, I'm not calling it X, it's, it's Twitter. Um, his purchase of Twitter is that uh, I don't think I've ever seen on a regular basis, I don't think we've ever seen how much um, journalists uh, in particular, corporate journalists are absolutely despised. Um, they get ratioed all the time. For those who don't know what a ratio is, it's when a post is made and the, uh, and the comments outnumber the number of likes on a post and they're usually pretty negative. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I think communication in general is becoming decentralized. I think, um, in industries like, uh, like comics, publishing, um, music, the, the fact that now artists can build a direct connection with, uh, with their followings, with their own fans directly, uh, without these gatekeeping industries is, is powerful. Um, and I, and I think that while the institutions may be dying, the industries may be dying, um, the ingenuity of individuals and groups, um, is not, and the internet will be, um, the next, um, will be, will be able to empower these people, uh, putting on shows and movies is really, really hard, but, um, I think it's only a matter of time before we see people like maybe Mr. Beast or Patrick Bet David or something like that, producing their own feature films. And now we just have to get to a, pl a place where the artists can kind of come together and, um, and organize stuff. And we're already doing that um, sort of on an underground. So it's, it's really cool. I, I think that's cool as well. I, I find some of the best journalism out there is on Substack or places like Barry Weiss's free press. It's, it's, it's away from the New York times and the Washington post and, and uh, becoming more, as you said, independent, which is a very good thing. I, I need to ask you before we're finished, what are you doing now? What you have all the makings of a, of a tremendous performer, but you're, you're also there. You seem to be kind of a Renaissance man. If I'm summing you up right here in our 25 minutes together so far, you, you, you got it all, man. And so you could do whatever the hell you wanted to do. So what is next? What are you in? Where are you? What do you, what do you get, what are you getting into? Um, yeah, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm still figuring it out. Um, you know, these last few years, uh, have been, uh, been a time of great upheaval. And, uh, you know, I often ask myself why the, why has all this happened, uh, in, in the way that it has. And I wonder if it's, um, you know, I, I wonder if I was narrowing my, myself too much by confining myself to only being an actor. So, um, you know, it, it's devastating to have lost what I did, but at the same time now, you know, and I, 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 I am on this path of self-development and becoming a bit of a Renaissance man. I mean, I just, I just downloaded the other day. I'm really excited to read it. Um, six easy pieces, the Richard Feynman uh, book, the physicist yes. um, I'm learning about, um, you know, I'm just going back and learning about philosophy and rhetoric and, um, you know, in addition to, and part of my, part of my mission, I think is to, um, impress upon people, the importance of the arts. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm writing primarily either via Twitter or via my Substack. stack. Um, I have a podcast as well, um, where I talk to all kinds of canceled artists who are often, who are always better than the people who canceled them, by the way. Yeah. And, um, 
and uh, maybe so on and so forth, you know, maybe someday down the road, I'll perform again. I mean, I have some ideas, um, you know, that there's one which I'll tease this idea about a solo show um, uh, about uh, centered, on, centered on the life of Thomas Sowell, um, oh. Thurgood, Thurgood oh. Marshall and um, and uh, and uh, Paul Robeson have shows um, about. Them. I just got the chills. Yeah. I yeah, just yeah, got yeah. the chills. So that, so I think moving forward like that, now I have a YouTube channel, which has about 25,000 subscribers on it. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I can't be in the entertainment industry, I have to find a way to be bigger than the entertainment industry. And um, I, whether by hook or by crook, it seems that the more I open my mouth, <laughs> I just, my following keeps growing. Um, and I'm, you know, and I guess I'll somehow find a way to take advantage of that and uh, see where it goes. But, uh, you know, I don't have any concrete answers right now. I think a lot of artists are just licking their wounds from the past few years and figuring out what the next uh, step is. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. All I can say, I want to do that goofy slow clap for you because it's, it, I, I don't care if you don't think it's courage. I'm going to sit here and tell you that it is courageous because the, 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 the cowardly thing to do is to get in line, say, I want to keep acting. So I'm not going to speak my mind. I'm, I just, I just want to be, you know, in, in theater, but, but you didn't do that. So to me, Clifton, you're courageous. I, I want people, if, if you're not watching on YouTube and you can't see uh, all the spots where that we're running under Clifton so that you know how to find him, at Clifton Duncan, is it just Clifton? I don't know, my glasses on. It's at Clifton, Clifton Duncan. Duncan. Clifton, Clifton A. A. Duncan. Duncan. At Clifton A. Duncan on X or Twitter as Clifton. Why won't you call it X? Because it's just, it's so generic and just dumb. I mean, everyone knows that it's Twitter and it's just, it's a more specific brand. It's just better branding in my opinion. It's, well, it's isn't Twitter. it funny how everyone always says, tw formerly known as Twitter? You know, right. I mean, you know. I, you can find me on X, formerly known as Twitter. And, right. And it's like when Prince went to the symbol instead of just, you know, the artist formerly known as Prince. Right. Well, side note, I refer to New York as the city formerly known as New York. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah, there is that. Uh you can find him on YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, he's got a sub stack. I just, I just am going to keep following you. And I want to stay in touch with you because you're so smart. You're so thoughtful. You're, we have a lot in common in the way. I'm not as smart as you, but I think that we both keep liking to learn. We both keep wanting to learn, seeking new knowledge. And, and we're not willing to ignore history, by the way, which so many people are, like you said, this, this notion of presentism or whatever they're calling it these days, where you can, people can only focus on, they can only see through the lens of now, instead of looking back on how things were, how we've evolved. The fact that Michelle Obama or Oprah Winfrey or Sonny Hostin or Whoopi Goldberg thinks that they are oppressed is a joke and people need to call them out on it. And uh, so someone like you who does it so eloquently and with such a beautiful voice, your voiceover artist talent uh, agent was dumb. Um, you just keep going, Clifton, because you do have you have an audience that wants to hear you. Well, I appreciate that, Michelle. And the last thing I would say is that it's one of the reasons I, I encourage people to read uh, classic literature, because what you learn is that for hundreds, if not thousands of years, what even though technology changes, even though customs change, civilizations, you know, fade away. But what motivates us as human beings has never changed. And you see it from the Greek plays all the way up till now. And once you begin to take scope of these plays, um, these works, the you know, novels, plays, 
whatever, um, or biographies from the time, you see, you begin to see and understand people in, in a different way. And um, when you sort of problematize these materials because, you know, they are offensive or whatever, then you lose that learning and that chain of understanding, that transmission of knowledge. And that's one of the reasons I think that we're in such a, um, the, the place that we are now. I couldn't have said it any better. Uh, and that is why pretty much everything I read is literature from, you know, I, I love Dickens. I love, I, I'm, I'm on a Jules Verne kick right now, which is kind of silly, but it's, it's really interesting. Uh, so anyway, Clifton Duncan, find him, find him, find him, follow him and uh, hear what he has to say, because his voice is, I, I just think you're important. So thank you so much for joining us, Clifton. Well, thank you, Michelle. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Uh, what fun that is. It, 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 again, follow this guy. You can follow an infinite number of people on Twitter. Make sure at Clifton A. Duncan is one of them because, like I always say, he is brave, he is doing good, and I suggest you do the same. We'll see you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.